Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sport Politique, the podcast where sports and politics come together and steal from poor people. With me today is a new guest, Sean Myers. Sean, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, so far, the podcast, this is my first recording that is not back from, you know, October. So this is one of my newer episodes. Uh, you know, we're doing well. We we were ranked uh, number 28 in Mexico for sports podcasts. So, all right. Yeah. We Got are a, on the come up. Yeah. We, everything's coming up fainly. All right. So, Sean, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes, but what I always like to do is to ask my guests, you know, if you favorite especially first time guests, yeah, favorite sports teams, favorite athletes, favorite just sports in general. So, Sean, tell us about your fandom. First and foremost, uh Vikings fan. I started out uh I'll try and blow through this. Um but uh when I was a kid, I was a Packers fan. I think what I think just to piss my parents off. Uh, <laughs> I re- my grandpa was a Packers fan, and so I had some kinship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, honest to God, I don't know when it switched. I don't remember the moment. Uh, I think I just got lonely uh, cheering for the Packers alone <laughs> in my house as a kid. Um, but by the time I was like able to form reliable memories okay. uh, i was a vikings fan um <laughs> i uh my my misery has been published in the comment section no not in the comment section but in the uh reader testimonials section of uh defectors why your team sucks series. oh yeah drew Maggerty when he did it on deadspin yeah exactly he continues to do it on uh on, on defector and my testimonial was in last year's article, uh, among many others. Um, yeah. So you can read that there under the name Sean. Um, it uh, otherwise, um, I am a uh, I'm a budding uh, college basketball fan. Uh, oh, okay. Follow. I, I I like my my alma mater's team, Northern Iowa. We had a heartbreaking Sweet Sixteen loss uh, a few years, like actually at this point, like five years ago. Yeah, a lot of my buddies went to Creighton though, and they're an actually good basketball, a reliably good basketball mm-hmm. school. So I, I I follow them. Um, I like following Iowa's basketball teams, although they always suck and are always eliminated early on in the tournaments. Um. Let's see what else. And I'm a fan of I'm a fan of football, the non-American variant. Um, I used to oh, follow Real this, Madrid. On this podcast, we refer to soccer as soccer and American football as American football to just got piss it. off as oh, many people as possible. Oh, to piss off everybody. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. If you yeah if, yeah I I like the idea of not showing favoritism and just annoying everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I agree with you. I kind of had that moment when I was growing up. I, I feel like it's a very interesting time when you are a young sports fan trying to pick your team. Because yeah. I had a chance when I was younger to be a 49ers fan. That's who I loved growing up because I was a big Steve Young fan. I I, I like the idea of a short, somewhat mobile white guy at cor- at quarterback because that's kind of what I was when I played football. So yeah. I I easily glommed on to Steve Young. Sure. And I instead chose the Chicago Bears, which probably not the best fate I chose. <laughs> I'm surprised. Proximity, he... There's good history there at, at the very least. You know, yeah. not to say that there isn't with the 49ers, though. Yeah, I mean, at least I would again have a reliable team that kind of... I mean, yeah, they, they had a bad stretch from after... Young left, and then in the early 2000s, they had... I mean, in the 2000s, things were really bad as a Niners, you know, as for the Niners. But, you know, for Chicago, I guess for all sports teams, some success is a little bit relative because although I haven't seen the Bears win a Super Bowl, I have seen pretty much every other Chicago team win a play or win a championship. Right. And... 
You've seen I can't, when was the I Bulls can't. last championship? Ninety seven, I believe. It was oh. the summer of ninety seven. Yep. Cool. And yeah, it's yeah, because I had that chance, and it's interesting that you mentioned that for college basketball because that's my favorite sporting event is March Madness because yeah. it makes no sense, and it just once again proves just how chaotic things are. You yeah. think these, t- you think this team is gonna win, and then they end up getting bounced in the round of thirty-two. <laughs> God, Purdue this year was honestly made me want to throw up. I, <laughs> Zach Eady a ball bounce like you know player of the year and then <laughs> yep. a ball a rebound bouncing off his fucking face and rolling out of bounds like he just did not show up to the fucking highlight, tournament highlight of the game for me just seeing that just boink so, like, <laughs> so brutal like jesus christ it's, it's moments man. it's moments like that in sports and i'm like i can relate to you <laughs> yeah exactly we've all except my moment was it when i was on the seventh grade b team yeah, yours was in front of millions of people. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I, I go back and forth on the March Madness, uh, on March Madness, like on what it would be like to be in that tournament. I, on one hand, like the crushing defeats, mm-hmm. like uh, the meltdowns and things like that. The the one seed getting blown mm-hmm. up by the sixteen seed, like that. And knowing that, especially if you're a senior, like you just don't get another chance. You're just done. It's over. That's mm-hmm. going to be your legacy. Uh, that seems so fucking miserable. But also playing in it seems fun as fuck. Like, it, yeah, I, I, like the even like being there alone seems like it, it has to be just fun. Um, and then if you win a game in the Mar- in, in in the NCAA tournament, it seems like probably like a, a highlight of your life type moment. Yeah. Like for me, the, the team that I follow, even though I mentioned in a previous episode of me being a Notre Dame fan, I do feel like in college sports, it's great that you can have multi, you can have multiple favorite teams you follow because my other team is Iowa state. And the thing that makes at least the Cyclones fun is there's no in between with them. They're either going to lose the first game or they're going to make it to at least the Sweet 16 guaranteed every year. There's no in between. And you know what? I like that better than, you know, like, oh, like we're Kansas. And then, oh, we got (laughs) – we we lose to who now? Like just some team that is just completely out of nowhere. So I always appreciate that of, in a way, being the team of lesser – of kind of having like, you know, like, hey, we're just here to have fun. Yeah. Right? Well, hopefully, let's just see how this goes. Yeah, wild but, card, wild yeah. card, bitches. <laughs> Speaking of fun uh, and your love for football, Sean, how do you feel about the quarterback position as as a football fan? That's that's a kind of a philosophical question. Um, <laughs> that's I, what we aim to achieve here at this podcast. I think Philo- I like the mythology of it. I like the mythology of it. I like the uh, the um, the stories. I think anytime one role is disproportionately disproportionately powerful, mm-hmm. uh, there are going to be more intense stories that revolve around it. Like I think about the, I don't remember who published it, but the long form article about Andrew Luck published in the last year, I think it was ESP, some ESPN it, journalist. Yeah, I haven't read it. It's great. It was behind a paywall. Yeah, it was ESPN Plus and I only had it okay. because... I had it I, maybe to watch old UFC fights or something like that. I can't remember. Oh fuck! I follow UFC too. Uh, that's like that's my second favorite sport behind f- football. You um, will you will have to be a guest on one of our other episodes. I might have you on with other friends because there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about the politics in UFC. Yeah, it's crazy. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you could talk. I feel like you could do an episode alone about the Francis and Ganu stuff. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, but Izzy's been my favorite fighter, and um, so seeing him get that win against his fucking anime rival this weekend was pretty thrilling. Um, but anyway, sorry. Um, th- but yeah, so you should read that Andrew Luck story. It's great. Um, okay. But I think like that sort of story only happens, at, which is uh, to give you like just a high level view. Like he's just this insanely neurotic control freak to the extent that like when he went out to 
order or when he went out to eat with other people, he would always order for them. He would not allow them to order for themselves because he had to have control over every element of his environment. Mm -hmm. Any amount of doubt or uncertainty. He he said like you just you can't allow any uncertainty in your life. Like the second you allow uncertainty to creep in, you start to question yourself and then you like can't function at your highest level as a quarterback. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, it, it attracts these like insanely fucking neurotic narcissists. Can I, can I swear? Yeah, you sure. Yeah, you sure can. Okay. <laughs> uh, these insanely neurotic narcissistic individuals, but they also work insanely hard to achieve it. I mean, not to say that obviously everyone in the NFL does, but we just hear more of the stories in the quarterback position because it's so focused on. I wish there was like, I wish it wasn't so quarterback dominated because it does suck mm-hmm. that a team that can't find a great quarterback is at a natural disadvantage. Um, but I don't know. It's a, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to be the one to ask to change the game. So, uh, you know, pros and cons. I, 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 it's not my favorite position either. You said it is or isn't? Sorry. It is not. It's not my favorite position. Curious. What is your favorite position? I'm a, I'm a running back guy. Yeah. I, as a Bears fan, I didn't believe in, in quarterbacking until we had Justin Fields. I was just like, that's just something we, that's just a luxury that we need to have. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, we don't need a quarterback. <laughs> we just play defense and run the ball. Yeah. And hopefully that works. But I now know in today's NFL that is that is a fallacy that we cannot fall into anymore. I know I for like the, I like the prevalence of running backs this last season. Seemed like mm-hmm. it was more important this year than the last several years. It it does seem like it is starting to trend back now yeah. into the NFL because defenses have gotten smaller and faster to where people are now realizing, oh, let's bulk up. Yeah, and, and everyone's running shell like you know like trying to protect against the big play and everything. Yeah. And it's allowed for more underneath stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I know for myself speaking as a former high school quarterback. So the epitome of quarterbacks, even yeah. still, even if I was even on my high school team, I was buried on the depth chart, right? It would sure. have been the starter, the backup, another backup, probably one of our fullbacks that we had <laughs> on our team. And we just would have wildcat it. Yeah. And then possibly our one of our coaches trying to sneak onto the field, and then it was probably me. Right, right? that's how yeah. buried I was. So I wasn't very good at the position, but it is it is a very difficult thing, right? Like I'm not the biggest Colin Cowherd fan, or not? Yeah, Colin Cowherd, the the radio personality, but he always has a great point of where he says like of just how hard this position is to play, right? You have, you know, 30,000 high schools with them graduating seniors each year. From those 30,000, you have roughly about 200 universities that send people up to the college, you know, to the pro level around that. Then from that 200, you get to 32. And out of those 32, maybe 10 are good at this. It's, it goes to show of just how difficult it is. And I know for myself, even though I, like I said, I, I do like Justin Fields, there is still, I guess for me being a Bears fan, I like the antithesis of that Andrew Luck story, which is the Jim, <laughs> yeah. the Jim McMahons, the, the Jay Cutlers, yeah. the Rex Grossmans of where it's, Fuck it, somebody's down there. I'm just gonna chuck it. I'm not gonna <laughs> throw throw a pass in the flat. Screw that. That's that's yeah. for pussies, man. I'm just gonna chuck it down there and and, and hopefully somebody catches it. <laughs> I, I like love that the idea. I love the anti-Andrew Luck analogy, <laughs> like where mm-hmm. he's just like so meticulous. Every aspect of his life has to be fucking like you know as as like perfect windowed as like a slant or something. And mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you've got Jay Cutler who's like famous for smoking well, cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even though those are Photoshop, even if there was yeah. a time where if it would have cut to him and he just had like a Marbo just hanging out, yeah, his mouth, yeah, yeah, none yeah. of us would have like been like, Oh yeah, that's just what he does. I literally forgot those were photoshopped. <laughs> I, I, I literally forgot because it's such a convincing image. It is. And I will say this as like, 
again, like another little quarterback story before we get to today's class or not class. Oh, sorry. My old <laughs> teacher, teacher mode. Met, yeah. Teacher mode coming back in as uh, into the episode of, I had one camp where Drew Brees was there and Doug Flutie. So I was at a football camp with Drew Brees and it was great because they, again, they had two different kind of styles in a way. Like, yeah, Flutie is there. He's a career backup in a way. And he's just kind of like, okay, like, you know, go out there, sling it, have fun. Also, Sage Rosenfels was there, the Viking sensation that was there for a little bit because people were like, maybe he's going to be our starting quarterback. And then the subject of today's episode came in and was like, yeah. no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> and... We had those two guys who were good to talk to because they're like, yeah, you should be prepared and this and that. And in walks Drew Brees, who's like, pump fake here, throw it to the guy in the in the corner. He's going to be open. Guarantee it. Yeah. And I'm like, you sure? And he's like, bet. I'm like, I'm like okay, I believe you. You're Drew Brees. <laughs> I'm not going to doubt the NFL quarterback. So I did that. I, I hit my drop. I pump. And then, yeah, just as Drew Brees said, Clear as day, wide open, touchdown. And he comes in and he, like, bum rushes me. And he's like, I told you! I told you it'd be open! And it's like, yeah, like, you do have that. And even still, like, even for the people that do have more of that, like, maybe not so much of a neurotic mode, but even somebody like Breeze was like, I'm prepared, but you need to make adjustments in the game. And also, you need to go out there and just just sling it, right? Don't Don't think all the time, just, like, or, you know, like, it's not necessarily, you know, like, we need to order, I need to order everybody's food at the table here. Because <laughs> if, because if chaos were to enter my world, right, everything would break down. Yeah. Okay. Now, sp- going into our political subject, Sean, how do you feel about stealing money from poor people? Well, from a utilitarian standpoint, it doesn't seem like a good idea. They don't have very much money to begin with. So if you're going to steal from <laughs> someone, you probably should steal from someone else other than poor people yeah Um. (laughs) (laughs) you would think that because today's episode we are going to talk about brett Favre and his alleged stealing of welfare i have to say alleged because brett Favre is quite sue happy yeah (laughs) and within the like first week or so of my podcast being released i've had certain family members but be careful what you say you you don't want to get sued and it's like i I, this is this is public information. I'm not yeah. going around talking about how you know people are eating children or doing some Alex Jones type stuff. I'm I'm reporting on facts here. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to be talking about Brett Favre and and why stealing from poor people is bad, and in particularly why welfare for rich people is bad for society. All right, but before we get into our into this we're at a time we're going to take a little bit of a break for ads here so here are ads and we're back now where we left off last time we just got done talk. We just kind of just got done talking about the basics of what the episode is about. But for those of you who do not know what we're talking about, that's what we're going to cover uh, real quick here. Now, for those of you who do not know who Brett Favre is, you can watch the movie There's Something About Mary, and that's all you need to know about the guy. He was very good at throwing a football, beating my beloved Bears, and nearly caused me to crash my car when I was listening to the 2009 NFC Championship game, where he threw an interception and the Vikings play-by-play announcer, Paul Allen, lost his shit on air. (laughs) Have Come you on, you gotta fucking, you gotta give me a warning before you just drop the, 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 the number 2009 on me, man. Have you heard that call? And Brett Favre threw an interception. Why did he do that? <laughs> yeah. It, oh no, it wasn't just that. It was, it was like Brett Favre rolling out to his right, yeah. throws to it, throws to his left and interception. And then the best part is that the yeah. color commentator yeah, is yeah, trying yeah. to like, Sue things out and be like, hey, that's who Brett Favre is. We've seen this when he was in Green Bay. He's yeah. known for making these risky moves. And then Paul Allen. Why was, doesn't he just take a knee? <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't he take a knee? Yeah. This isn't Detroit, man. It's for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I still I still listen it to the to this day when I get a little bit down. I'm just like play me some Paul Allen and then uh, and then it cheers me right up. Yeah, 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 I do the same, but with like the Minneapolis Miracle instead of instead of that. Now I'm all now I'm all depressed. Let's, <laughs> well, let's it's all right. Forward. That's I a need Minnesota Freud. Let's listen to this oh. some things that this asshole did. Oh, you will get shot in Freud for today. Now, for those of you who don't know, again, more about this story, Brett Favre and several others have been named in a Mississippi lawsuit in connection for stealing $77 million from the Mississippi Department of Human Services. Now, it is worth noting that Brett Favre has not been charged with a crime at the time of this recording, and it does seem pretty unlikely that he will be charged with a crime, mostly because of how things have kind of shook out and as you know, sometimes when it comes to criminal prosecution, sometimes certain defendants are let go, right? Like you kind of sometimes let the the small fish go in order to get the big fish in a way, or you kind of let some of the other people skate on their crimes or it, and also for in return for testimony. And another part of it is, is that they did charge, I believe the governor and a lot of what Brett Favre has said is him coming out saying, look, I didn't know the depths of how bad this was and all this other stuff. So it might be something that the state of Mississippi don't want to go after him for. And plus, this is Brett Favre in Mississippi. He's he's a big deal down there. It would be, I can't think of a Minnesota sports, you know, like a Minnesota sports person who means that much to the state. The only things I could think of is... For our Minnesota audience, right, it would be like charging Prince with a crime when he was still alive. Or for Iowa, it would be like charging the guy who came up with Casey's get, you know, Casey's pizza, and be like, "What? You're going to charge him for a crime?" Because that's pretty much probably our most famous. He Iowa, feeds our population, man. <laughs> It'd be like if Adrian Peterson was born in Minnesota and also didn't beat his children. Oh yeah, that I guess that would be the closest. If yeah, if AP wasn't from Texas and he was from Minnesota, that would be probably like the closest. Ran that was for there. U of M as well, instead of yeah, yeah, instead of the Sooners. And again, like I said, Brett Favre did not steal the entire seventy-seven million dollars; just eight point two five million. Dang, that's more than I thought. I thought he was like a couple million. No, no, it's it's eight point five. And well, here's a kind of a quick breakdown of where that money went. He was paid $1.1 million for speaking engagements that he did not go to. Now, I will say this in Brett Favre's defense. He did pay the money back once news of it leaked to the media. So, at least he has shame. <laughs> $2.15 million to a company that Favre partially owns to develop concussion medication. And I went into research for this concussion medication trying to see like is it try like is this basically quackery and it's like a nasal spray that treats concussions right it is uh, allegedly allegedly <laughs> yeah We're, that's gonna be the word of today's the episode. word of the day allegedly because that word is gonna do a lot of heavy lifting for brett Favre's concussion yeah. medicine yeah. i mean i'm i should i should also state i'm not a doctor but most of the science point to of like this nasal spray isn't going to cure brain bruises anytime soon. <laughs> and then lastly, fifth or sorry, five million went to build a new volleyball arena for the University of Southern Mississippi. And it should be noted that his daughter was a member of the team at the time the loans were given. So that's where most of this, you know, went to. So Sean, how you feeling about old Levi Jeans? Brett Favre, gunslinger. So here's the here's the thing I don't understand. Like in the leaked text messages and stuff, like he he's he's having these conversations about getting this money, mm-hmm. and I recall a, a conversation with the governor reading about a conversation with the governor, and he's like, "We want this new football stadium." You you're probably going to cover this. But, oh yeah, uh, I have the text messages in question that you're talking about. Yeah, so he's like, he he's tr- they're trying to uh, get like Deion Sanders' son or something to come play football, uh, and to attract him, they want 
they want Brett Favre and who, whomever uh, want to build a new indoor football facility as like a as a um, recruitment tool. And his verbiage is something to the effect of like, we're not going to take no for an answer. Uh, we want to make uh, Southern Mississippi. I think that's the college we want to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make Southern Mississippi football great again. And I, 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 I just don't understand the. I don't understand the thought process of like, uh, especially because it seems in the text messages, like he knows what he's asking for. And the governor tells him that it's illegal. Yeah. It seems like he knows it's wrong. So what I don't understand is why you commit a crime on behalf of your alma mater, even if your daughter goes there right now. Like I can't comprehend what's going on there. What, what that like, what in his psychology like is it just fandom is it is it honor is like what is that there's a couple of things that play into this and i know for you sean since you're much because i know in for the listeners sean and i are in a football chat group where we most of the time it's us just talking about setting ourselves on fire if our teams (laughs) do not win yeah yeah it's a good 60 percent of the posts I actually did the math. That, yeah, it was like it was around like sixty to seventy percent. Mm-hmm. Most of our posts is if if we do not kick this field goal, I'm gonna set myself on fire. And then usually me pinning that to you know being like, "Come on, guys, what is this?" <laughs> hey, I've never I've never had to do it too. So apparently, I have good intuition for these things. Yes. The last uh, one was if if Brock Purdy, if Mr. Irrelevant wins the Super Bowl, I'm going to set myself on fire. Yeah. And I didn't have to. I didn't have to do that. because he, No, you he, did it. He broke his elbow or whatever. Yeah, he, he hurt his arm so bad that Ric Flair told him to suck him up, to suck it up. And he's like, I literally cannot hold on to a football. Like, the ligament is torn from oh, my arm. Have you seen the, have you seen the, um, the mic'd up where, like, all the players are really, oh, yeah. like, Kittle and he's like, what happened to Brock? And he's like, yeah, no quarterback. We we faced adversity before. Oh, that's they, oh no! You see it where they all like be like. It just seems like before, like right when that happens, like some of them just start crying because they're like, yeah. we're done. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, the fight leaves them. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for the digression. Oh, oh no, that's okay. But there's a couple of things here to cover. Number one is, and this is going to be a topic for a future episode, but. Build, but what is known as the facility wars in college athletics. One of the big things that plays into college sports, particularly college football, since that is the main money driver, is getting these super nice facilities. And some of them are, you know, to get recruits. So then, you know, like, I mean, partially for Southern teams, you know, you can kind of play all year round. But in particular for Northern teams, you know, your Michigans, your Notre Dames. Yeah. yeah. Those teams, in order for them to play, to practice all year round, for them to have like an indoor training facility or or things like that. And it gets to even sometimes the level of where schools are trying to be like, you know, because the NCAA for so long and many schools for so long were trying to say, we don't have money for to pay college athletes. We, We need a new lazy river in the training facility for, and no, that's that is true. Clemson University has a has an actual lazy river for their athletes. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, we don't have money to pay you, but guess what we do have money for? <laughs> inner tubes! La- inner <laughs> tubes. We've got a lazy river and infinite lemonade. Yep. <laughs> so you do have you do have that that's part of it so i am going to cover that part another thing is when you look at college sports in the south those are their pro teams right like i know for you and i like we grew up in iowa you know our pro teams are the iowa hawkeyes and the iowa cyclones we i mean there is a d there is a d league basketball team in des moines and there are like other like minor you know like minor league baseball teams there's a triple A team in, out of Des Moines too, the Iowa Cubs. And you do kind of get that near major league level. And you kind of can get that in Mississippi of all places. But at the end of the day, college teams are what dominate the area. And in Mississippi, it goes the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and then Southern Miss is number three. And when Brett Favre was there, Southern Miss was quite good. Not to the level of, 
getting to a major bowl game, but for a team that's that small to be competitive and make it to bowl games is still quite a big feat. And he kind of wanted to get that back there. I didn't hear anything about him wanting to get Deion Sanders' son because I knew when Deion Sanders pretty much, I don't know if that was around or before Dion accepted the job position at Jackson State University because when he went there, Dion's kid was going to go with him, right? Sure. Just like how now that Dion's the coach at the University of Colorado, him and other players that were with him at Jackson State are, are now in Boulder. Sure, sure. So that makes that, sense. So it, it'd be mm-hmm. kind of like it'd be kind of like Brett Favre. Uh, it'd be like if I had the capacity to make the Minnesota Vikings better or something I, in a yeah. way yeah or if, or if you could somehow like if you wanted to improve like because i know for you you're also into esports as well right yeah yeah like i know because i know in my alma mater st cloud state they are trying to build an esports team and they're like no like we want to be good at this because it's relatively low cost for us and we can get out ahead of the curb and you know probably be a destination to be an to be an esports school in a way, right? Sure. Same thing if you had that ability for you and I, right? Where sure, you could donate sure, sure, money sure. for the latest computers and all the other stuff that you need, you know, hiring of coaches, all that stuff. That's okay. that's the same regardless of whether that's at Mississippi State. You see the same stuff for no, like I said, like the University of Alabama football, Kansas basketball, like Texas baseball, any of the big schools and any of their sports that they care about. They will throw money at the problem or they will try and do things because it's always this just like how it is. Um, you know, one of my recurring themes when I have episodes here is quoting The Simpsons. Yale could use an international airport, right? <laughs> just like just like, you know, in Biloxi, Mississippi or wherever, you know, Southern Miss is or Hattsburg, I think it is. Right. They could use an international airport. That could sure. be something that could get them to get more recruits to come there. Yeah. Yeah, Instead of going to South Alabama or Louisiana or tech or something. Right. So, so that is a, that is also a major factor here, but a big difference of this though, Sean, is that unlike you and me, Brett Favre earned $140 million in his playing career. So you could think that if he wanted to, and this is not counting his endorsements, yeah. If he wanted to, maybe he could pay some of his own money to build these training facilities instead of robbing it from the poor. <laughs> Jesus. Jeez. Right. I yeah, I hadn't thought <laughs> I hadn't thought about the fact that, you know, it's like for some reason I I hadn't asked myself the question while I was reading about this. So I was like, how much money does Brett Favre have, you know? Yeah, I looked it up. 140 mil, not counting endorsement deals. Yeah, that's messed up. That's messed up. Oh, it gets worse. And that's probably also the other theme of today, besides using the word allegedly, is it gets worse. But before it gets even worse, we're going to take a quick break for ads. So hopefully these ads can cheer you up. Anyways, here are ads. we are back now where we last left off we were talking about how bad this is that brett Favre, you know a a multi-millionaire and not again not counting his endorsements which again we were not privy to because they're private contracts but again in his playing career he's earned as about as much money as myself or sean could earn in several lifetimes and him taking money from the mississippi Department of Human Services, which basically works as their welfare fund. Now, this is bad, but what makes it even worse is that this happened in the state of Mississippi. Sean, what do you know about Mississippi? Uh, isn't that the poorest state in the continental United States? It is one of, I, I don't know if it's the poorest, but I know it's one of the poorest because as an economist, you know, and teaching economics, there are many different ways to gauge poverty. Right. There's not like there's one set way because like, for example, uh, Sean and I were talking about this before recording. Yes, I do make less money here in Mexico, 
but you know the advantage for me is that I have socialized medicine and housing prices are affordable here. The upside to Sean is that he earns more money and he has an entire row full, you know, he can go to the supermarket and an entire aisle for different Oreo flavors. It's a trade-off. <laughs> it's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. Now, Mississippi is definitely one of those, but I also want to help you paint a picture about the levers of poverty in Mississippi. One in five Mississippians live in poverty. So 20% of the state's population lives in poverty. Less than 1% of welfare recipients in Mississippi are granted welfare payments from the state. So out of those 20, you know, out of that 20% of the population, only less than 1% of them get that. A family of three that are on welfare in Mississippi are given $260 a month. And for those of you who would like to know the math of this, it would take that same average family of three on Mississippi welfare 352 years to earn the same amount of money that Brett Favre earned just on his $1.1 million paycheck that he got from the state of Mississippi to give speeches that he did not give. Ew. <laughs> yeah. That might be the nicest way to say this is ew. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, as it stands for now, for Favre, is that the state auditor wants Favre to pay interest on the loans that he took, but Brett Favre does not want to. Because Brett Favre wants to be a real villain during all of this. And it and also... By, oh, yeah. And by, by loans, do you mean the money he stole and is yeah. like being forced to pay back yeah basically he yeah, yeah. that's it because he has said like you know what that's it i'll pay you because again like that money that went to southern miss he can't get that money back because they've already built the facilities Jeez. and the money that went to his company right his con his concussion company you know with the nasal spray that's already been there it's just the 1.1 million but he doesn't want to pay interest on that and like it says here, it, it, like it said, claim, Favre claims that he did not know that this money came from welfare fund, but there are text messages that we talked about previously between Favre and Nancy New, who was the head of a nonprofit called Mississippi Community Education Center. New received millions of dollars from what is known as the NANF, which is a federal program called the Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. And what emerges is a different story. Sean, do you want to help me? I don't know if I can send you this part of the script here. If not, I might just cut this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to share my screen with you. All right. And then you can see the script. Do you want to be Brett Favre or do you want to be Nancy? Hey, everybody. Future Daniel here. Uh, for some reason, when I went to edit this, this part didn't come out well. So in this passage... Sean and I read out text messages between Brett Favre and Nancy New. In these text messages, Brett Favre uh, comes out and is well aware of what he is saying. He goes, quote, you know, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? To which Nancy New replies, no, we never had that information publicized. I understand you. I understand you being uneasy about that, though. Let's see what happens on Monday with the conversation with the folks at Southern. Maybe it will click with them, hopefully. And then in the next test in the next text message, it mentions, you know, the name Phil Bryant. So those are that's pretty much the only really big information that you need from this. And the fact that Sean and I did absolutely amazing impressions for Brett Favre and Nancy New. But anyways, back to the show. Now I want the listeners to know this. When I was doing my, you know, amazing voice of for Nancy New, I mentioned the name of Phil Bryant. That was the governor of Mississippi in 2017. And when it comes to this, it gets more, I guess, before we get into this, uh, Sean, before we kind of step away from just looking at how bad this is and obviously looking more at the political side of this, I guess, Sean, what do you think is an adequate punishment for Brett Favre? Oh man, that's another, that's another, that's another pretty big question. Well, so we have to be able to prove that these like consequences or, you know, figure out where this money came from like that. Oh no, we know that he got the money from again, right. like, 
Him and also, I don't know if you follow professional wrestling, but the Million Dollar Man yeah, was yeah. a part of this. Ted DiBiase. Yeah, I. One thing that one thing that just kept coming to mind while I was reading about this is what what is this pattern of just giving money to celebrities or whatever? Like essentially, uh, I know, like you said, seventy was it seventy seven million? Seventy seven million. Yep. Yeah, I don't know where the rest of that went, but it's just it, it's so bizarre to me that they're just handing money like are they just handing money to like is that how all of welfare works like you just funnel money into private charities with like fucking no oversight at all like how does this work how is this possible well we are going to talk start (laughs) well we are going to talk about how welfare works and why the concept of welfare works and is beneficial because i'm sure they're I'm sure there are some people who are, let's face it, probably are more conservative uncles. And I always just say this as I know of one of my uncles who listens to this and he's fairly liberal. But I, I always like saying this because it's just the stereotype of the uncle. Everybody's uncle is conservative. Even if they're not, they're all conservative. Right, but anyways, right. when it comes to this, we're going to talk about how welfare works, why it works, and why it is beneficial. And speaking again from an economist perspective and looking at like, no, like this concept is beneficial. When I did study economics in college, it was all in developmental economics. So I know this area pretty well. But when it comes to what you're talking about, this corporate welfare, it's kind of like the same thing that we saw during the COVID loan period. Right. When it was just throwing money out at people just to keep them afloat. And of course, some people used that money to keep their businesses afloat. Other people took that money and bought new cars. So there's there's also a little bit of this sliding scale in a way. But usually when it comes to this, it's it's kind of like, actually, I got a good story for you. It's similar to what I try and teach my students here in Mexico about corruption. We were talking about corruption period in the United States during kind of the Tammany Hall era. And I was trying to explain to them about like why cronyism is bad and what, and we're going to cover this in actually another episode here. I can't remember what I'm going to cover it, but anyways, I know I'm covering one specific area of cronyism, but it will be coming down the pipe here in a couple of months. But anyways, when we talk about this, right, we would talk about how like, oh yeah, you're my friend. I'll give you the contract for this. Right. Or, oh, yeah, I'm the governor and, you know, I need somebody to be in charge of this school. Oh, yeah, you're my old drinking buddy. You go ahead and be in charge of that. And sometimes when it comes to this of helping, like what we see as helping out friends. Right. Or or I guess what I had for one student who couldn't wrap their head around this because they were getting government funds to help them pay for the school that they were at. And I was like, but did you guys qualify for it? And like, No, not really. And I was like. So how did you get those funds? Oh, a friend of ours works at the office and that's how we got it. And I'm like, so that's corruption. And they're like, no, it's not. And they're like, no, it's not. That's just friends helping out friends. That's and that's kind of, exactly. And that's kind of what happens here is that it's, you know, Brett Favre saying, hey, can you give me some money for this? Or, hey, can you, or again, it's like, hey, I'm going to do this for you for, a pl- in this case, when we're looking at Phil Bryant and, I don't have the, the time to go over all of Phil Bryant's crime because generally speaking, he was a very shitty governor, but you know, he was just throwing out money elsewhere just to be, just to kind of fulfill that typical uh, GOP lawmaker, which is government doesn't work. Elect me into office to prove to you that government doesn't work while they, you know, they, they line their own pockets and pilfer everything. So that's kind of how that works. But how welfare actually works or how it's supposed to work, it's not supposed to go through and be channeled through nonprofits. It can be as a way to alleviate government stress and government expenses, right? Just saying, okay, here's money. You people, these you, you NGOs know what you're doing. You run it. That's there. And regardless of whenever we look at this, and again, this is the reason why when I talk to my students about corruption is that you're never really going to get rid of corruption or graft because sometimes it's just along the lines of, hey, I'm going to give you this budget from the government. And if you do not use this budget, right, all of this money or so, 
all of a sudden, the next year, the government might give you less money to work with. So people start tacking on expenses or they might start saying like, oh yeah, I need this, this, and this. And granted, that can that's kind of one of the downsides of having NGOs being in charge of, or again, like these nonprofits that are sometimes in charge of various welfare parts of the state. I mean, by and by, the, the big thing is this, Really what works out best for welfare, generally speaking, is through government means and having correct oversight for that. When you just give money to people and just say, here, figure it out, or you guys know what you're doing, that's when things tend to get bad. Money to organizations, that, right? As opposed to giving directly to people. Right. It should just be that. Give it directly to people. That's that's the foolproof way of... Exactly. That's usually a good... I sh again, I shouldn't say foolproof because, again, there's obviously ways to exploit everything. Like I tell my students, there are only two perfect things in this world. The 1972 Miami Dolphins and Chicago deep dish pizza. That is it. <laughs> there's Everything else has, has flaws to it. That's right? where all your Chicago sports fandom comes from, right? It, it you, really does. You took your first bite, your first forkful of... Deep dish, Chicago deep dish pizza, and all of a sudden, mm -hmm. just like you, you oh, were yeah. transported to an, the ethereal plane with Mike <laughs> Ditka, and he like placed his hand upon your shoulder and was like, "You're gonna be the greatest Chicago sports fan of all time." Actually, it was Buddy Ryan for me. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. He was the Bears' defensive coordinator, who then went on to be the defensive coordinator, for, or actually the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. When they were very, very dirty. Uh, <laughs> That's the best, like self and like, the, like yeah. Oh, my, he, my spirit animal is a is a demon. Yeah, that's basically what Buddy Ryan was. He he openly he base he openly would tell his own players to be like, oh, that's the quarterback, hurt him. <laughs> like, should I pay you money? Like, and, and it's not like it's not like Greg Williams was like, I'll give you money to do it. Buddy Ryan would look at you with disdain and be like, <laughs> if you didn't do it, you don't feel that in your soul. You can't play defense for him. That you do not want to physically hurt this man. Uh, it's the precursor to the 2009 thing, man. <laughs> it just all comes back to 2009. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Anyways, kind of going back here. But as we're talking about here, I do want to again go into briefly about why welfare is necessary and good for society before we get into how the rich get welfare. Now, I think the biggest criticism of social welfare programs is that, you know, people think that if you give money to people, they'll become lazy and they'll have no incentive to work. In all of the research and all the readings that I have done, I have found the exact opposite. And in fact, one of the bad things about this idea is according to an article that I have posted on our website from Project Syndicate, countries that believe more in this, in the idea that welfare creates dependency, the less welfare those people in those countries receive. And from that article about why welfare is beneficial, quote, it is possible that welfare programs actually give people the necessary tools to achieve financial independence provided that the assistance is dependable rather than sporadic and temporary. In that case, the provision of government assistance over the extended period of time would yield high social and economic returns, not least by allowing low-income families to make longer-term investments for the future. And <clears throat> within this article, they talked about how an Indonesian welfare program called Program Kaluga Harapan, which translates to Hopeful Family Program, which I love those names. <laughs> it's the Happy Family Program. We're going to give you money. We're going to fix so they, it. We're going to fix yeah, the problem. Exactly. Hope You'll be hopeful again. You know, this program selected 180 sub-districts at random and compared to what they found to a control group of a different 180 sub-districts that did not receive the money from this program. Now, the PKH, which is a shorter name for this program, provided quarterly cash transfer to some of Indonesia's poorest homes. Payments that made up to about 7 or 14% of the recipient's income. So we're not talking a lot of money. Just enough, I mean, again, like the payments aren't even meant to cover all of the household expenses. Also, this program was only available to families or households with a program with a pregnant woman. So again, there are strings attached to this. Again, part of those strings is that part of the payments were to go directly towards immunizations 
and nine years of schooling for the children. Lastly, this money was given out over six years due to the understanding that climbing out of poverty takes time and requires consistent support and, and stability. Now, Sean, are you a betting man? Occasionally. All right. If not, you set yourself on fire. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I either bet or I set myself on fire. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you were to say, how how well do you think this program is going to work? Do you think it's going to see... Do you think it's going to be, it's going to work out? We'll see some modest gains, or do you think it will, you know, be a, be a bit of a wash or, you know, there'll be some benefits, some downsides. Um, as someone who's not super well researched in the subject of welfare, uh, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the last option, some benefits, some downsides. All right. I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet, uh, $5 on it. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you would say you would set yourself on fire, but, <laughs> but I understand this is not the same stakes as, you know, making a 50 yard field goal in London. Exactly. It's, it's a much <laughs> less big deal than that. Okay. Now in the short term, this program showed positive impacts on indicators of health and educational outcomes in two years. Like for example, increased visits to postnatal care facilities and increase enrollment in school. Given the success of the program, the Indonesian government expanded the program over the years. And by 2013, PKH provided assistance to about 2.3 million households. In the medium run, which we are considering about six years, children within the program were 23 to 27% less likely to have their growth stunted. Now, I know for us, in the United States, that might sound like that's not that big of a deal about, oh, you no longer have stunted growth. But when talking about, you know, the amount that nutrition plays in educational development, right? Stunted growth is a serious health problem due to the fact that children grow slower when they're malnourished. And research has shown a correlation between stunting and lower IQs and poor socioeconomic outcomes later in life. So again, about a quarter of the people that was the, that that were there were able to, you know, not have their not have their health stunted. The article also states that in the first two years of the study, PKH increased school enrollment for children ages seven to fifteen, but not those ages fifteen to seventeen. That's pretty much because of they weren't able to really benefit it within that short term. They didn't really see much of a point of like, hey, why should I go to school? However, though, over the next four years, enrollment within the age 15 to 17 bracket improved. Because of the PKH program, children were 16% more likely to remain in school. Now, I know that you might be thinking that 16% or 27% might not sound that impressive. But when you look in the areas in which these percentage increase occurred, you should be impressed. Health and education are two of the hardest and most important areas that can lead to a person's prosperity. But more importantly, if these children continue to, be in, to have in improved lives because of the PKH program, by getting long-term employment, they will be less likely to be a part of, you know, social programs. So, Sean... You owe me five dollars. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll. Uh, what's your Venmo? I'll, I'll get you up after the show. Yeah, yeah. It's, but this is the point of that welfare is supposed to be. It's not the idea of what some people think of, like, oh, well, they're just getting thousands of dollars worth of cash, and all they're doing is they're just spending it on their avocado toast and their and their Burger King, and you know. Whatever things are people are up in arms about, right? Yeah, it sounds to me like the the analogy is like, it's not like this escalator that runs on taxpayer dollars. It's like a trampoline that you buy once and then it allows you to jump forward into a less less poverty world. Exactly. That sounded and the, a lot more eloquent in my head. <laughs> less poverty world. Less poverty world. Damn, no, edit for... that out, please. Yeah. No, it stays in. Just like my dog just like my dog barking or somebody drives by with a with loud music that is, you know, playing banda, it stays in the cast, damn it. Stays in the cast. Stays in the cast. But what really when you look at what welfare programs that are successful, it's giving small amounts of money to people to just be like, hey, this covers your gas bill. Right? This covers your this, this covers your that. Because 
what we end up seeing is that by just doing these little things and having that little bit of spending money just all around, it's able to free up, you know, some of the stress that comes with being impoverished. And that's really the big thing here is because, you know, because again, you might be thinking like, oh, well, that only happened in one country. Again, another article that I'm linking on the website from The Atlantic talks about the same results happening in Mexico, Nicaragua, Honduras, the Philippines, Morocco, Uganda, and Nigeria. And to quote that Atlantic article, quote, welfare helps people work. Might sound like a strange and counterintuitive claim to some, but it is perfectly obvious when the word people in that sentence refer to low-income children in poor households. Poverty and lack of access to healthcare is a physical, psychological, and vocational burden for children. Poverty is a slow-motion trauma, and impoverished children are more likely than their middle-class peers to suffer from chronic psychological stress and exhibit antisocial behavior. It's axiomatic that relieving children of the ambient trauma improves their lives and indeed are relieved of these burdens. Children from poor households are more likely to follow the path from post-high school graduation to college and then full-time unemployment. It's not nuclear fucking physics. It's just because <laughs> what you're doing with welfare, it's not for that generation, for like those, for those parents. It's to alleviate, it's basically to alleviate the pressure and the stress for the children. And from those children, they are able to have better lives and then once they get out of poverty, you see our numbers of, of, of poor people begin to contract. It, that's, that's how it's supposed to work. And that's how it can work. But it can't work when Brett Favre is taking money. <laughs> I know I should also give a little bit of shade again to Ted DiBiase. But it was the man's character. He's just, he's just doing kayfabe. He's... He's just still, you know, money, 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 money. He's meth right? he's a method actor. Exactly. He's he's still in kayfabe. If you're he's... gonna criticize this man, you have to criticize Joaquin Phoenix as well. <laughs> I can criticize Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> method method actors can be the worst, but yeah, absolutely. But, but 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 that's the point here is that this is the thing that really gets to me when I learn about this for Brett Favre. And again, like we've talked about about how things get worse, it's not that Favre is taking money, but he is in a way dooming people to poverty and dooming people to endure this psychological trauma. And enduring basically this uh, really shitty existence because we needed to get Deion Sanders' kid on campus. Yeah. <sighs> and so, like, I, I, I came into this podcast, like, I had some questions and stuff. And I was, like, hoping to get a clearer picture of why he did what he did. You know, I was, like, trying to understand his motivations. And now that I feel like I understand his motivations a little better, it's actually so much worse. Yep. It's it so is so much, much worse. worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of things being worse, we'll get into that in next episode when we talk about corporate welfare. But before we get to that, Sean, do you have any plugs? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, I, I, I feel very I feel like I'm very uh, qualified to be on this podcast since I'm the head of HR and the head of the ethics committee <laughs> at Cave Ghost Games, the company, the game company of which I am the sole employee and owner. <laughs> um, there have been some there's been rampant sexual harassment of me <laughs> to me that I, I, I had to crack down on. Um <laughs> That's a terrible joke. I shouldn't have said that. Um, no, uh, no, I made a game. It's called uh, A Curse from Beyond. It's on Steam. Also, uh, read the Defector article, Why Your Team Sucks, the Vikings 2022. Is it is it 2022 or 23? It would have been 2022 if it was last year's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, control F that sucker for Sean. And you'll see the story about the time my car broke down uh, while I was trying to go watch a Vikings game with my dad. And the day I realized my fandom was doomed to hell. <laughs> I, I do have to say for Cave Ghost Games, if you do play his games, if you do like those old kind of text-based adventures 
They're right up your alley. They are fantastic games to play. For me, I would like to plug this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at SportPolitik, or you can find us on our website, sportpoliticpodcast.com. Since I recorded these episodes in October, I didn't have the domain up. So for the listeners, if you're wondering, why does it sound like he's just interjecting here and there's this weird background noise? It's because I had to do that, you know, afterwards. But (laughs) I'm able to say it now because it works. But anyways, that's going to be it for today's episode, and we'll see you next time.